Today, we review the people of the book of Genesis. People that will come to impact the rest of the Bible story. See how many of them you can name on The Bible Brief. Thank you to all our friends who've reviewed the show, texted their friends, and filled out our show survey. If you haven't yet, don't forget to join the cause to help others learn the life-changing story and message of the Bible. Details are at the tail end of yesterday's show. People in the Bible are important because the Bible is all about people. And generally it's about two kinds of people. Those who have faith in God and those who don't. The righteous and the unrighteous. The sinner and the saint. The faithful and the faithless. These two categories find their root at the very beginning of the Bible. After the cataclysmic event in the Garden of Eden, the simple act of eating the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we see cascading effects and cascading judgments that would come to affect all of human history. One of the primary effects being the separation of the righteous from the wicked. Outside of God himself, revealed to us as the awesome creator of the heavens and the earth, the first two people we meet are Adam and Eve. Adam is named by God, having been created from the dust of the ground. And Eve is named by Adam, having been created from the rib of Adam. Both of these first humans created in the image and likeness of God himself. They were created to worship and obey God as they exercised dominion over all creation. But soon we met the serpent, Satan, the adversary who tempted Eve to take the fruit from the tree, who then handed that fruit to Adam. Upon eating from the tree, mankind is plunged into corruption and sin, with the death penalty as the final result. Hope yet remains, however, as humanity expects that a seed of the woman will come to finally defeat the enemy, Satan. It's in this post-fruit context that we meet the three male children of Adam and Eve, Cain, Abel, and eventually Seth. Cain and Abel bring sacrifices to the Lord, and God disfavors Cain's sacrifice in favor of the sacrifice of firstfruits that Abel had brought. Cain, in his anger, murders his brother Abel, whose blood cries out to God from the ground. Cain is banished further east from Eden, and eventually Adam and Eve have a third son to replace Abel. His name is Seth. Hope for the seed of the woman remains. Then we met many people in Seth's line, with two particularly notable figures. Enoch, who walked with God, and became one of two people in the whole Bible who did not experience physical death. And Noah, who walked with God before the great judgment on the earth. In Noah's generation, God sends the great flood upon the earth and wipes out all of humanity, save the eight people on the ark with Noah. These included Noah, his wife, his three sons, and the wives of his sons. After the great flood and about a year on the ark, Noah's family exits the ark and Noah sacrifices animals to God. God responds with a great covenant promise to all the earth that he will never again flood the earth in judgment. Noah's sons that were with him on the ark were Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and their names became familiar because of that odd event involving Noah being drunk and naked in his tent. Ham enters his father's tent 
and spreads the news about Noah's nakedness, bringing dishonor on his father. Yet Shem and Japheth cover over Noah's nakedness and refuse to look upon him. As a result of this, Noah curses Canaan, the son of Ham, before he blesses his two sons who honored him. Canaan and the people who had come from him would be cursed to servitude, while Japheth and especially Shem would be blessed. Generations later, and after the fateful event at the city and tower of Babel, we met one of the descendants of Shem, the man to whom God makes great promises. His name is Abram. Abram is called out of Ur of the Chaldeans to the land that God would show him. This is the land of Canaan, the land of the descendants of the cursed grandson of Noah. Abram comes to this land with his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot. He faithfully counts on the promise of God for the land, many offspring, and a blessing to the world. As he sojourns in the land of Canaan, his nephew Lot gets into some trouble, though. When invading nations from the east come to loot and pillage the land, Lot is carried away from the city of Sodom where he had been living. But Abram, with a small force, defeats the invading kings to save his nephew. After these events, we meet the great priest king Melchizedek, who blesses Abram and receives the first tithe in the Bible from Abram. Abram gives him 10% of everything to honor God by giving to Melchizedek. God then honors Abram with a formal covenant affirming his promises to Abram. After this event, time passes and Abram becomes impatient for the offspring that God had promised to him. His barren wife isn't getting any less barren. Sarai then has an idea to offer her servant Hagar to be a surrogate wife for Abram so that he can have offspring through Hagar that Sarah might also claim as her own. Abram listens to his wife and has a son as a result. This son is Ishmael, who grows up in Abram's household for many years. When Abram is 99 years old, God expresses to Abram that it won't be through Ishmael that God will establish his covenant. It will be through a son actually from Sarai, now Sarah. Abram, for his part, would even have a name changed into a name of promise too. His name would now be Abraham, meaning father of a multitude. Soon, the son of the promise, Isaac, is born, and Sarah forces Hagar and Ishmael out of the house. Yet years later, Abraham is put to the test as God tells him to sacrifice his son Isaac on a mountain in Moriah. Faithful Abraham listens and obeys. But just before he plunges his knife through Isaac, God stops him and yet again affirms his promises to Abraham. God provides a ram to sacrifice in the place of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham soon focuses his attention on the next generation and sends a servant to Haran outside of the land of Canaan to find a wife for his son, Isaac. While in Haran, God provides guidance for the servant and he soon meets Rebekah, the one who would be Isaac's wife. Many years after returning from Haran, barren Rebekah miraculously conceives twins, and God announces to her that among the twins, the older will serve the younger. This begins to take shape as the boys age. Esau, a hunter, returns from a hunt famished and sells his birthright to Jacob for a pot of stew. And eventually, Jacob disguises himself as his hairy brother Esau, 
to deceitfully gain the blessing of the firstborn from their old blind father Isaac. Upon finding out about this deceit, Esau plots murder to be accomplished when their father dies. Wisely, Jacob flees the land of Canaan and goes to Haran, the old home of his mother, to find a wife for himself. Upon arriving at Haran, Jacob meets the beautiful Rachel and almost immediately makes a deal with her father Laban to marry the girl. He works for seven years for Laban to gain the hand of Rachel, only to be drunkenly deceived on the wedding night as he marries Leah, the older sister, instead of the one he loved. After working another seven years for Laban, he is finally able to marry Rachel, which kicks off a progeny contest between the sisters. This competition not only involves them, but also their servants Bilhah and Zilpah. In all, the four women provide twelve sons and at least one daughter to Jacob. The favorite wife, Rachel, bears the final two sons to Jacob as God miraculously opens her womb, just as he had done for Rebekah and Sarah before. After laboring for Laban and the growth of his family over twenty years, Jacob leaves Haran to go back to the land of Canaan. As he approaches Canaan, he hears of the force of 400 men from Esau that are approaching the border. Jacob begins to fear for his family and his possessions that the murderous rage of Esau has not subsided over the last few decades. It's in this context that Jacob gets his new name. The night before he meets Esau, he has a wrestling match with God, and God renames him Israel, meaning strives with God or God strives. Jacob's life of struggling and striving were shown to be used by God for his ultimate purposes. But the next day, Jacob meets Esau, and the meeting he fears is not fearful, it's tearful. God had prepared the way for Jacob and allowed Esau's anger to subside. After this meeting, Jacob settles in the land of Canaan. Then we begin to really meet Jacob's sons. Soon we find that his eldest son Reuben dishonors his father and sleeps with Bilhah, Jacob's concubine wife. Then we see Jacob's second and third sons, Simeon and Levi, commit a heinous evil on the city of Shechem. They murder all the males in the city because one man in the city had dishonored and forcefully slept with their sister Dinah. They return evil for evil, and they overdo it. Years later, however, would come the sin that would come to define much of the rest of the life of these twelve brothers. After the years of seeing the favoritism of their father Jacob toward the eleventh son, Joseph, the brothers seize an opportunity to get rid of him. After initially planning to kill him, on their brother Judah's suggestion, they instead decide to sell him into slavery. The fourth-born Judah has cunningly plotted to occupy the place of blessing instead of his three older brothers and instead of the favorite son. After Joseph is out of the picture, Judah then begins to have sons himself. But his sons keep being put to death by God because of their wickedness. However, instead of seeing his son's wickedness, he instead blames who they were married to, the woman Tamar. Judah promises his third son to Tamar, but never upholds his word. After the death of Judah's wife, Tamar plots to gain offspring through Judah instead, and he sleeps with her, thinking that she is of an illicit occupation. When Judah finds out that she is pregnant, he demands that she be put to death. But upon being confronted with the proof that the children are his own, he admits unrighteousness compared to Tamar. Tamar, 
soon has twins, and in one of the oddest births of the Bible, the younger son is fully born first. This son's name is Perez, whose name we should know for what happens to the line of Perez in the future. After the story of the unrighteousness of Judah, we come back to the story of Joseph. Upon arriving in Egypt, he's sold into the house of Potiphar, the captain of the guard of Egypt, and after leading the house successfully for many years, Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of assault. As an untrusted foreigner slave, he's thrown into Potiphar's prison. But soon, Joseph gains a small reputation for dream interpretations. And years later, Joseph is given an audience with Pharaoh to interpret his dreams. Joseph's interpretations, given to him by God, tell Pharaoh of a coming seven years of plenty, followed by a seven years of famine, that will be difficult for the world. Pharaoh elevates Joseph to second-in-command over the empire to wisely prepare for the coming calamity. Joseph indeed prepares, and seven years later, the severe famine strikes. This famine provides a reason for all his estranged brothers to come to Egypt looking for food, because Canaan is suffering as well. They come to Joseph and do not recognize him. He sends them away with food, but demands that upon their return, they must bring their brother Benjamin the youngest of the twelve brothers. Over a year later, they return again with Benjamin in tow, and Joseph plants evidence on Benjamin to make it look like he'd stolen a silver cup from Joseph. Yet in a turnaround moment for Judah, Judah offers to take the penalty for the stolen vessel rather than Benjamin. Joseph breaks down and reveals his identity to his brothers before asking them to bring their father Jacob down from Canaan to Egypt. Later, Jacob and his whole clan move to Egypt, 70 people in all. They settle in the area of Goshen within Egypt, and Joseph is able to see Jacob before he dies. On Jacob's deathbed, he adopts and blesses the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, before blessing all 12 of his sons, telling them what will happen with their descendants in the end of days. Years after Jacob is buried in Canaan, Joseph dies as well. And as the book of Genesis closes, Joseph reminds his brothers of the promise of the land of Canaan. He tells them to take his bones with them, to bury them in Canaan, when the nation is finally able to leave Goshen to go back to the land of promise. The people in the book of Genesis are the bedrock of the Bible story, and we will reference them again and again as we move forward. These people provide the context and the comparison points for faith and unbelief, for blessing and struggle, for repentance and redemption. And these people provide the line through whom the blessed seed of the woman will come. But that's still a long way off in the great, big, true story of the Bible. A story that we'll pick up again on Monday, March 20th. We're going to spend the next week and a half preparing for the next great epic stage of the Bible story. In this next stage, we'll see the people of Israel become the nation of Israel, and God's promises turn into deliverance from slavery. We can't wait to continue the story with you on Monday, March 20th. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023.